0: Welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand.
1: And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter.
0: Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing BrainTools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the BrainTools Podcast. And welcome back to the Brain Tools podcast where you learn practical brain science for everyday people. Really excited about this week's episode where we're going to talk a little bit about negative and difficult emotions, where they come from, why you have them and how you can tame them. Super excited about this one because obviously, uh, you know, we all experience difficult emotions throughout the day. How are you feeling about today's episode, Kieran?
1: I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped. I'm I'm actually really good. I'm coming off uh, a staycation of... uh two days, um, which has meant meant I'm actually in a very good headspace for this. I'm actually, I can tolerate your behavior. I can tolerate this conversation. Uh, You're you're no fun at all, but uh, I'm great. How are you?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, insulted, uh, a little bit (laughs) sad, somewhat angry. And you know what? I'm going to figure out how to deal with those emotions as we go throughout this episode. (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. We're just at lockdowns ease uh, where I'm from in Melbourne. So as you know, we've, uh, we're free from the shackles of Dictator Dan and um, looking forward to this weekend, to be honest.
1: Dictator Dan, what did you do to celebrate? Can I ask before we crack in?
0: I, I did. Uh, Dad and I cracked uh, a couple of bottles of wine to celebrate our, our emancipation as it were. That's a great word for it. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, just bring
1: it back. Well, I think the past couple bring of it, episodes, really back. talking about English, you know, English was just in, uh, at
0: the forefront, writing but a good Language. Ed- language is super important. And it's also really important for today's topic, which is a great little segue into uh, negative emotions. And because of the timeliness, right? I mean, we just referred to it then. Where we, we've, I'm sick of saying it, as we have talked about before i'm sick of saying but really right now due to all the external factors going on in the world it's really really tough and it is leading us to be more prone to produce negative emotions and this is because of all the negative news triggering out that re- threat responses and stress a general sense of hopelessness because of this ongoing pandemic we can't seem to shake people losing their jobs businesses shutting down the financial pressure economic recession, job loss and and the lockdowns and social isolation. Because of all these things, we're really living in this time where it's so easy to succumb to the the negative emotions. And there kind of are, you know, some really main negative emotions that we feel every day, right?
1: Yeah, spot on. And I think as we, I know it sounds like we're a broken record. We say COVID every single time we come onto this, but it, mm-hmm. it really is the, the case. And we've almost got a negative emotion hangover uh, that's obviously persisted throughout this entire time. And as you said, two main negative emotions when we characterize this anger and sadness. And the way that, um, you know, what I was thinking about this is when we talk about negative emotion, it's always interesting to think about what it leads us and humans to do. And I think, you know, it's a number of ways, Sam, like bullying at school, you know, when we experience negative emotion, oh, yeah. you know, bullying starts to happen, bullying in the workplace. It's uncontrolled aggression, uncontrolled sadness, you know, chastising from parents, you know, with negative language. It can actually cause long-term uh, impairments to the brain for for children and long-term trauma. And there's this very clear relationship between negative emotion and trauma and how it influences our behavior mm-hmm. in, a, in a myriad of ways. I mean, it's a yeah, negative emotion, hey?
0: Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you, there's the concept of aces and adverse childhood experiences, and how you carry that trauma memory, memory throughout time. And there's some great work on it by Joseph LeDoux and some other people. But like it, it just does have that really long term effect. And I think um, I've so I've got a bit of a personal story yeah, about probably. negative emotions myself. And I alluded to this last week, but I had a period of my life when I was around 21, just coming off the back of. Uh, experiencing both glandular fever and another one much like it. And I had a compromised endo- endocrine system. And as a result, I, I slipped into this spiraling depression. And I was going through some nihilism and, and had some really dark days. And I pulled through thanks to some therapy, thanks to my friends and learnings I had. Um, so I really know what it's like to be down in, in the depths of negative emotion. And so many of the things we talk about today, I look back and think, oh, my God, I, I get it because I can see how they impacted both my journey to recovery, but also how they led to the conditions that got there in the first place. It
1: links so nicely to last week's episode, which I know we were speaking about your experience there, which uh, we got a a few feedback from uh, some listeners to showing your vulnerability, as Brené Brené Baron would say. Uh, Very, very appreciative of that. But that foil, as we've spoken about, a positive emotion, you know, last week's episode and looking now at negative emotion in this episode. And, uh, you know, we've spoken about this off the air, the idea that when you are in that negative mindset, it actually primes you for more negative things. You make poorer food choices. Mm -hmm. Due to negative emotion, the negative emotion uh, is contagious, um, and the people around you start to, to feel that. Our pain is exaggerated, and a few of my close friends, Sam, um, are going through some some bad things at the moment, and I've been, you know, trying to be an ear uh, to them. And you feel very, very helpless when people you care about go through these negative emotions. So, hopefully, today, as we we crack into this, understanding where these negative emotions come from, and the fact that in reality they are generated by tiny things in your brain. Uh, and mm-hmm. that hopefully can note that that is a, a very natural and human reaction to our environment, that negative emotion is, but it's measurable and it's concrete and there's stuff that can be done about it. And this is not going to turn to a therapy session, but as always, what we want to do, and you know, we love, we love doing this. We want to get inside the brain, okay. peer under the hood and understand what is actually going inside it, particularly from an evolutionary perspective when it comes to uh- negative emotion.
0: Absolutely, because I always feel, I mean, that's such good points you, you just brought up about how they impact our decisions. But I always feel it's like once you know on a basic level and understand a topic, it suddenly becomes so much less scary, right? That, that's that's often the source of our anxiety and our fear about it. Um, and that is definitely true of negative emotions. So the question is like, like you know, the question is why? And that's
1: why Sam, can you tell us? Why do we have negative emotions? And the reason I say this though, is there's always this constant foil. Like we want more positive emotion, positive neuroscience, positive psychology, but there's gotta be a purpose to negative emotion. There has to be, surely.
0: Right. Well, I mean, like we didn't evolve and we didn't evolve in any specific way, not to have something like if, if something is part of our physiology, our biology, our psychology, it's because it provided an evolutionary advantage. And the same is essentially true of negative emotions. So, most of the negative emotions we experience, sad, uh, anger, frustration, and all the other iterations really stem from survival instincts. And, you know, anger is this protective mechanism, right? Charles Darwin, natural selection. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charles was onto things. He was on to it. <laughs> I swear. Get Charles. Oh, he's a long history behind him. But, I mean, Charles Darwin, super fascinating guy just as fascinating as negative emotions themselves. When you think about things like uh, fear, terror, surprise, uh, and the other similar bodies of emotions, what their job was really to do was to awaken our body, alert it, and prepare it for a threat, to run away from a saber-toothed tiger or a predator back in the days when that was useful. So the way to think about it is to, that these emotions are ways our brains help to respond to things that happen to us in our environment really, really quickly. And without them, we wouldn't be able to run, run away from predators uh, or protect ourselves. We probably would have died. Let's be frank. The we probably would have, probably would have died. Like, yeah. no, no, no homo
1: you. sapiens. No sapiens book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. We don't get the backstory, the anthropological backstory. <laughs> I think the, the problem we run into these days is that so many of these emotions that would have served us incredibly well out on the plains, out in these, in these vast conditions with, you know, threat – and all corners coming at us from predators, they don't serve us as well uh, in the current digital era where we, we're not really under attack from a lion, but we often perceive other threats to be the same way and trigger the same emotions.
1: It's such an interesting thing that you're mentioning because it's that classic case of technology being a human creation that has you know, led to massive changes in our environment, but our biology is just lagging behind. You know, in a 100-meter race and uh, our biology is at meter 10 and our technology is at meter 90, there's a bit of a mismatch going on.
0: 100%, we've got ahead of ourselves. And I mean, there's there's only, there's two real main emotions that we feel as well. And I know you're gonna cover that, um, those two big ones.
1: Yeah, spot on. And I think, look, I think the first one that I wanted to to start with is just purely plain and simple sadness. Um, And again, uh, a shout out to the episode that we did episode two on, on wellbeing, where we did talk a fair bit about, you know, sadness, mental health. So uh, feel free to obviously go back to that, but the amygdala, Amy, always being that sort of salience detector, that threat detector. But there's one really interesting thing that happens when it comes to sadness that I I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention, which is cortisol. We, we've spoken about a previous episode, but one of the main things with sadness, it's the prolonged production of cortisol and that's why people can fall into depression. I have, I saw this really cool line that sadness involves the reduction of cortical control over evolutionary ancient brain systems. And it's that whole idea that, you know, cortisol while it's meant to you know fight or flight get us going uh during that it actually can in longer spurts decrease cognitive ability it makes us incredibly susceptible to other illnesses and immune system immune responses compromised across time if not dealt with appropriately and so i think that becomes a really interesting part that there's so many different parts of your brain that are involved when it comes to negative emotions sadness and obviously anger as well being the sort of main main drivers
0: yeah, that's that's so true, and we'll touch on that a little bit later about the the impacts of cortisol and kind of negative emotions on physical health and on your brain too. I you I mean you just you you really just touched on the biggest myth there is around emotions, and you Are you going mythbuster on us. I'm going mythbuster. I'm going I'm going mythbuster because Great this note. is probably the the one of the most propagated uh, neuro myths, as it were. There is no single all, negative emotion part of your brain. Like, sadness doesn't just live in your amygdala. Anger doesn't just live in the insular cortex. Like, it does, there's no part of your brain where if we dissected your brain right now and cut it out and said, yes, that is what makes you angry, or that's what makes you scared, or that's what makes you sad. So there's been a lot of uh, research recently looking at emotions, how they made the amazing work of Lisa Feldman, Bart, and others, where they've basically showed that your emotions are kind of these network responses across the brain.
1: That's, that's so that's, that's a really salient point though, right? Because if you look at all the <laughs> neuroscience over the past 50, 60 years, it's been, here is the location in the brain that is responsible for yep. this. Even when Charles Darwin came up with, you know, his emotional expressions in animals and in humans, he noted that there was like an emotional fingerprint, which is that the same responses were for the same things. But you're, what you're saying is many different areas of the brain are involved in this response. And so it can look very different from person to person in reality.
0: It can, it, it really can. And so, yeah, you're totally right on. We don't, we can't regionalize a localizer like we used to and that the same emotional response in brain to brain can look slightly different although it's obviously going to be i mean from the research is going to be similar neural activation pattern and they can do this by measuring these things called voxels in the brain but between the brains like everyone experiences it slightly different and there's no such thing as like your sadness region in the brain we just had to clear that up
1: yeah, I think, and again, really good segue into the idea of anger, right? When we talk about yeah. different parts of the brain and so on, but you know, we haven't spoken a lot about anger, but it's something that happens to us on a daily basis. Uh, if you've ever been annoyed, ever frustrated, mm. going through the past six to 12 months, if you haven't, you're not human. Uh, I'm just gonna put that out there. You are a cyborg weirdo if you haven't experienced some form of anger. But um, what I wanted to do just very quickly before we, we kick on and get into some of the problems uh, around sort of negative emotion, which there are plenty, I'm sure you can appreciate. But I just wanted to very quickly define sort of anger in reality, because what anger is actually defined as is it's a response to a perceived threat to oneself or to another. And as you said earlier, Sam, like if we had not had this threat, detection system, we would die. So anger is actually the response that comes in when you can't, you don't have the time to flee. You don't have the uh, capacity to freeze. Uh, you need a fight. Uh, and that's the ultimate behavioral expression of anger is what we call reactive aggression. Like if you've ever had a fight with someone where you literally cannot control yourself and you yell and you scream, that uh, that leads uh, to what we call reactive reactive uh, aggression. Have you ever had that, Sam? Have you ever got reactive aggression?
0: No, never. I've never been angry once in my life. <laughs> 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 so often. Well, the worst part is the the helpless feeling afterwards, where you think to yourself, "Damn, I'm so out of control."
1: Absolutely. It's the the whole idea of losing control, as you said, and that's what frustration ends up leading to anger because frustration actually is when, say, an individual continues to do an action with the expectation of the reward, right? Goal-directed behavior, but you don't get that reward. It's akin to saying like you've got a gambling addiction, you put money in the slot machine expecting to win, and you don't, you become frustrated. If that repeats over and over and over and over again, then, hey, you become frustrated angry and you can imagine you can apply this to relationships or you can apply this to learning a new skill a new sport and i'm in education you see so many students struggle to overcome that 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 frustration um but yeah that's the, the long and short of frustration and anger but it's very interesting what happens in the brain
0: yeah it is and the question is like so where does if it doesn't happen in one place where does anger actually happen in the brain
1: good question sam i've got this so amygdala is the obviously the threat detector we talk about. For any form of emotion, negative, positive, you need to actually understand what's in your environment. So it's first amygdala. Then it's actually a thing called the hypothalamus. Yeah, I bring back all those biology textbooks. Ooh, the hypothalamus words. is actually the connector between your nervous system and your endocrine system. It releases yeah. hormones from your pituitary gland that allows, say, for example, cortisol, and allows action to occur. But then there's this really cool part, and this is the one that I just want to stop and prop quickly, is the peri-aqueductal gray area it is a primary pain center of the brain and actually modulating that area can lead to a suppression of brain and then obviously from there a bunch of stuff happens with the frontal cortex the ceo of the brain in terms of regulating it which you want to get to but in reality sam it'd be all good and well to say where well, everyone can resist uh the negative emotion but there are some problems there are some barriers that allow that allow us to continually spiral so to speak
0: yeah, that's it. I mean, we could we say we want to control them, but some things you can't control entirely and some things are so com- subconscious and they do have sometimes ramifications and impacts on our health, which we're going to touch on in our next section on brain problems.
1: So welcome into the next section, which we're going to talk about brain problems when it comes to negative emotion. And particularly here, Sam, um, there are problems when it comes to negative emotion that lead to a spiral, the rumination, the negative spiral where, as we said in the last section, you completely lose control of all all semblance of self. Your CEO of your brain, your prefrontal cortex is dominated by all the sort of ancient systems, so to speak. And the first problem I wanted to just bring to your attention if I can, uh, is problem number one is that we don't actually have a specific language to describe how we feel when angry or sad. Can I share with you a uh, a quick study that was very interesting? I got blown away by this.
0: I love a study. What's the yeah. study?
1: So the study is uh, at the University of Rochester and a person called Lisa Starr. What they basically were looking at were adolescents and their NED, which is their negative emotion differentiation, which is basically a nice fancy word for how much negative emotion you feel <laughs> and how you describe it. And what they did, which was super interesting, they got 233 mid-adolescents at the average age of 16. And what they actually found is that adolescents who use more granular terms to describe the emotions they feel, such as "I feel a or I feel frustrated or I feel ashamed instead of simply saying I feel bad are actually more likely to be protected against developing uh, depressive symptoms after experiencing a stressful life event and I thought that was fascinating that what we call emotional granularity being a really important thing when we describe our emotions leading to um, yeah, better communication That is so
0: Super interesting. And the reason I say that is because on our episode next week on emotional management, one of the brain tools and things we'll be talking about is that in particular and how impactful it is. Um, and there's also lots of research on that on general well being too. But I didn't know I had a role to play in negative emotions. That's awesome. It's,
1: it's so interesting, mate. Because, like, I just it, I was feeling pretty bad last, you know two weeks ago. And I even remember myself when I was speaking to a friend about, it, I said, I just feel bad. I couldn't find the words to describe mm. it. And that lack of granularity meant that I didn't understand what was going on. My friend didn't understand what was going on. And so understanding the words and having clear descriptors, um, I think is really important to not suppress the emotion. Because if you suppress this anger, you suppress this sadness, um, it probably leads you to spiral a bit more, I'd imagine.
0: It does lead you to spiral a little bit more. And there's there's actually some really interesting studies around that that language usage and effect labeling. We'll drop that in the show notes. You can read more about that. But the the simple truth of it, and this is true for anyone who's tried doing this, when you try to suppress a negative emotion, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work and there's actually some research done that found the suppression of negative emotions over time can lead to mental disorders um uh, in the journal of consequences of repression of emotion physical health mental health and general well-being uh they did an article in a longitudinal study which showed people who repress more of their negative emotion sorry people who try to suppress negative emotions over time um can lead to things like depression and overall frustration and actually experience more cortisol Um, and the reason for this is twofold. The first is the fact that when you try to suppress something, you have to actively think about it. So you're experiencing Mm -hmm. ironic process theory, which means you're focusing more on it. And therefore you are experiencing more ironic process theory basically states that when you try to not think about something, you have to think about it. And therefore you think about it, which is so stupid. It's
1: like, oh, like, don't, don't look at the elephant. Don't look at the elephant in the room. Look at it. You just, it's literally what
0: happens. Sam, don't eat chocolate. Sam, don't eat chocolate. Eat chocolate. And the same thing happens. <laughs> same thing happens with the suppression of negative emotions. When you try to suppress something, I you have to actively think about it. And that process of actively thinking about it means you experience it more. So the antidote to this is to just let your emotions be. And this is what uh, research from Yale, Columbia, and Dartmouth. Dartmouth universities, they found that people who accepted the emotion uh, were less likely to experience the negative rebound of suppression. So really interesting. Yeah, People try to suppress their emotion.
1: And I, uh, the reason I like it's hitting, hitting home with me is like, I used, I used to do this all the time. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I and to be honest, sometimes still do uh, on the odd occasion, but you always feel, I don't know if you felt this before, Sam, but like, you know, that build up when that's like yeah. it's that frustration we spoke about earlier, it happens once, twice, 30, but you hold it in, you hold it in, you hold it in. And then unfortunately at some stage it just comes out um, and it's just a bit of a whirlwind.
0: 100%. Just like the gas that passes through our body sometimes out is better than end.
1: (laughs) You are such a weirdo. I'm going to move on really quickly from that, which is (laughs) the the, the consequence of that. If you do suppress it, as we spoke about is if you are sitting there, and that's problem three, we've sort of identified is you won't probably talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, it does lead to, as I said, that negative emotion overload. And when we get into that negative spiral, which I'm sure people can associate with, we actually lose our ability to be sensitive to other people's pain. And so we actually start to put up walls, which means we don't get the help that we need. And so it was really interesting in this study that was conducted at the University of Geneva. They were actually looking to understand how our emotions influence the way we respond to others while they are in pain if we were primed by something emotional prior to that. And so what basically happened to describe to you, which I thought this was this is actually this is bloody fascinating. They actually showed the the participants in the study um, positive or negative movie clips from famous movies, so Forrest Gump as an example, and so on, while in the brain scanner and then made them feel pain and then watched clips of others in pain. And this is what they found. They found out that those participants who watched a negative clip and saw others in pain showed less brain activity in areas associated with pain, which is the anterior uh, insula and the medial cingulate cortex. And it's so interesting. It's basically saying the following, negative emotions literally suppress our ability to be empathetic. If you can imagine
0: that. Wow. So, so negative emotion overload disables empathy.
1: A hundred percent, which again, I, I want to, sorry, I'm getting too excited. It's correlated. It's correlated. It's correlated. It's correlated I yeah. swear. But I thought that was fascinating. No wonder people, when you feel really mm. bad, you don't want to seek help and people actually start to avoid you in the strictest case when you are feeling quite negative. And I think that, um, that's what that makes a of
0: it makes a lot of sense. It also ma- it makes sense why people want to like d- detach and push away from people when they're feeling terrible. You don't want to talk to other people because you're losing that ability to be empathetic. Those-, those parts of your brain are just not activating the same way. It's spot on because our brain is completely impaired though, right? In terms of mm-hmm. so many different functions. It is t- totally impaired. I'm even thinking in this, this is just really quickly that possibly one of the attributions might be the fact that that experiencing that negative emotion is taking up the resources needed to be empathetic. So those mental resources are being directed towards your experience of pain as opposed to being able to understand someone else's.
1: And it comes down to attention, doesn't it? That's so interesting. Hey, Do you do
0: do neuroscience? (laughs) I've read read a book. (laughs) book Um, Speaking of problems, and and that's like disabling empathy is a huge problem. There's also more like personal problems, not in terms of the way you relate with others, but in terms of your own brain. And we touched on this inner well-being episode and it's namely that chronic negative emotions and most importantly chronic cortisol impair brain function and actually reduces the size of various parts of your brain over time so improving your emotional regulation and reducing your negative emotions specifically stress and the related cortico-releasing hormone glucocorticoids cortisol uh, norepinephrine all these neurotransmitters in your brain can have massively beneficial impacts to your body Because what happens is once cortisol is released in your body through the pituitary gland and the endocrine system and the thalamus that you talked about, it then triggers off norepinephrine in your brain. And the cells in the part of your brain responsible for memory and learning, the memory hub, hippocampus, they shrink to protect themselves from basically like cellular death. And so what happens is the part of your brain responsible for learning shrinks and the same as your prefrontal cortex responsible for thinking shrinks. So imagine your brain shrinking in the areas you need most as a response. Response to chronic stress, like a sponge in the sun, kind of just shrinking to protect itself from drying out and dying.
1: Wow, that's cra- That's uh, that's honestly crazy yeah. though. Hey, it's like the brain is so adaptive, neuroplasticity, but cortisol, right, which is meant to help in the short term, mm. clearly in the long term has really negative downstream consequences. And I think it's a really interesting principle for everyone. It's like always beware of the law of unintended consequences. Which is like Ooh, it can help in the immediate 100%. in the short term, but sometimes prolonged uh, too much of a good thing is bad.
0: Too much of a good thing is bad. Exactly right. It was made for you know short bursts of intense release, not extended periods. Which is why we have all the negative impacts. And it can also there are some downstream effects in terms of your body. Chronic stress can damage your immune system, deplete your other brain, and shorten your lifespan. So over time, negative emotions can hurt physically. But there are some benefits around. Negative you got to flip it. You got to right? flip
1: it we said this before and and like last week on, you know, positive emotions, if you haven't checked that out, go for it, please. But it becomes a foil, right? To understand what Mm -hmm. something can't be positive if there's not a negative side to it. And I think when it comes to the, I suppose, benefits of negative emotion, it's the struggle. Right. Negative emotion is a sign of the struggle. And so in struggling, it's really important and it gives you an opportunity to learn how to respond, not just to react. It's very, very easy to have something bad to you. you can't on you know, the classic stoic philosophy, you can't control the uncontrollable. But if you can learn to respond and see the negative emotion for what it is, you lead to increased well-being, you know, increased purpose, increased eudaimonia, and a bunch of positive uh, downstream consequences, and realizing that this is within your remit, it's within your control. To to both decrease negative emotion and increase positive emotion as we spoke about, obviously with the caveat of people that have obviously impaired our brain function, but very interesting.
0: Yeah. Super interesting. And then that has counteracting to my point before downstream impacts on your physical health because improving and controlling your negative emotions can also improve the state of your immune system. It can reduce impacts of long-term stress on your organs, on your brain, um, they did a really interesting study, which showed the regulating emotion can improve his physical health through the way the amygdala uh, interacts with the rest of your body. So, learning to kind of master and control and harness your negative emotions and get on top of them can improve your overall health, which is crazy.
1: That's absolutely nuts. And I think that then leads us right—is we've 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 gone through everything. It's now it's now brain tools time, Sam. It's brain oh, tools brain
0: time. Tools. Brain tools. Well, coming up next, let's do it. <laughs> All right, and now it is time for your favorite section, our favorite section, everybody's favorite section: it's uh, the it. brain tools time where we get really practical and we're going to talk about some six amazing practical brain tools to help you master your negative emotions uh, and just be a little bit healthier and happier. Uh, when it comes to negative emotions, there are definitely quite a few different brain tools and we're going to add some extra ones in the show notes. But, you know, one of the easiest things you can do you could do right now. What is it, Karen?
1: Oh, just teeing up another brain tool, aren't you? I love it. Brain tool number one, which I'm coming to the party, is distract yourself to create a pause. Now, the, the the reason I bring that up is the easiest thing at the moment that happens when you get angry, when you get sad, is the reflex. It is a cause and effect. What we're trying to do here by creating a pause is to dissociate the cause from the effect. And the only way you can do that is to create space. And I think Naval Ravikant, one of our fays, says this all the time. He says the ability to stay calm during conflict is a superpower. And doing so all stems from Mm. distracting yourself. I actually want to Mm. walk you through a little bit of research here before I do uh, get into some of the practical parts. But a lot of research basically suggests that if you are to engage, when you get angry, when you get sad, you have that instinctual negative emotion. If you engage in cognitive tasks, um, you actually lead to a distraction or a pause that allows you to actually process the information better once it's actually done. So for example, it's that little space that you create. So basically what it's saying is people can rid themselves of unwanted feelings by engaging in a cognitive activity, such as doing math equations, quite literally, or playing a game of Tetris. Doing something as an if-then plan can mean that you create that space so you don't have the instinctual primal reaction we normally have. And so my brain tool simply is to stop the reaction by having an if-then plan which is if you start to feel angry, you go for go shoot some hoops or you go play golf or you go do something. You create that automatic feedback loop so that you don't end up doing something that you regret. Brain tool number one, nice, short, sharp, and sweet. Probably my shortest whatever, no, but yeah. create that
0: pause. Crispy, I love it. Create that pause. That leads really, really well into brain tool number <laughs> two, which actually ties into some of the same research going on. And brain tool number two is don't vent refocus so, i mean we, we all do this right um we all vent and let it out when we're feeling frustrated or anger and we in doing so like i talked about before we focus on the negative emotions because if you're venting about how frustrated you are then you're really just thinking about how frustrated you are and so there's that cycle of rumination which feeds back into that negative emotion meaning the more you vent about it the more worked up you get the more you experience whatever that negative emotion is the negative spiral the negative spiral. So this perpetuates the the difficult emotion and makes you feel worse. Instead of doing that, much like your distraction, what you want to do is refocus your attention somewhere else. Refocus your attention in a, in a way that engages your brain. And as you re, uh, reference that research from Van Dillen and Cool in 2007, when they found that people who focused on doing a maths equation or they played Tetris found that in doing so, by refocusing their attention away from it from the emotion they'll experience, the negative emotion, they actually reduce its impact in their brain. So brain tool number two is when you feel one of those negative emotions and you just want to vent and rage about it, experience it, but then refocus your attention somewhere else.
1: I really like that. And they they link so nicely together and they're actually very Mm. distinctly separate, these brain tools, which is you want to have the pause first, but then you want to get to a distraction that is not venting because venting is not a distraction. Venting is 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 actually compounding the issue.
0: A hundred percent. And I mean, how many times have you really had like a deep vent and by the end of it you're so worked up you don't actually feel better because you've got yourself even more angry or frustrated or, or sad or whatever it is. So I know personally I, I used to do that a fair bit. I thought venting was, you know, a healthy emotional output, but uh I find just yeah, distracting myself works much better. And so so, so the research, And that's shows.
1: why the, the distraction is an example, right? Physical venting is much better than emotional and verbal venting. Going for a run, doing that exercise, et cetera, and not just punching your pillow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Leave the pillows alone. The pillows have seen enough. Um, <laughs> the, the pillows have seen enough. Yeah, it really comes down to like what we talked about before, shifting resources in the brain away from that emotional processing that's happening in the insular hypothalamus, the amygdala, and all the other regions of your brain, the networks, into other parts of your brain responsible for thinking, shifting the resources. And you know what? We just want to feel good, right? Got to remember the good times.
1: Got to get nostalgic sometimes.
0: Ah, that was very nicely done. Very much appreciate that. We do got to get nostalgic, which brings me to brain tool number three because sometimes we all get stressed. We get overwhelmed. It happens. But brain tool number three is remember the good times to counter acute stress. Oh, okay. What it means is this, right? Are you listening? What it means is this. If you, if you want to pull yourself out of a negative emotion spiral, you are spiraling out of control. You're not venting, but you are spiraling. It does happen. All you need to do is revisit some nostalgia to remember the good times. Um, So they actually did some research around this. They did some research where they put people into a negative spiral, into a negative what? state.
1: How'd they do that? how do you put someone into
0: a negative spiral? <laughs> well, they didn't put them into a negative spiral, but they showed show them uh, negative emotion... Emotionally stimulating um, stimuli, so things that made them feel negative in a certain way, and there's a pub- uh, study published by Spear and Delgado in the prestigious Nature journal. It's called reminiscing about positive emotions buffers acute stress responses. Oh, hello! So they they got these volunteers to do a stres- stressful or not stressful task, and then asked them to recall a positive memory, nostalgia. And when they scanned their brain brains and measured the cortisol in their bloods and their veins, they found that doing this reduced the negative effect and the cortical cort- cortisol rise, and it affected the cortico circuits, which is basically where your rewards happen and part of your emotional regulation happens so what the research says is that people who practice nostalgia when they're having one of those really negative emotions were able to pull themselves out of it by acting activating the reward parts of your brain so action is when you are feeling that negative emotions spend some time recalling memories you love pick up you know a photo from your last holiday and just sit there and think about it because if you can't help but smile looking back at a hilarious photo from that trip to Greece where dad got burnt and you can still not stop thinking about it, then it can easily pull you up out of that negative emotion spiral by reactivating the reward parts of your brain.
1: Absolutely. And I think that links so nicely though, as well to the hippocampus, which we haven't spoken a lot about today, but you know, we're talking about memories in reality, right? Mm. And you to strengthen the hippocampal um, sort of amy um prefrontal cortex pathways so it's a lot easier to recall that good memory um, you know moving forward in whatever that we choose to do i feel like i will say though as a note that you and i had very different Greek greek island experiences that's for sure (laughs) i
0: don't know what you mean i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) i
1: love it three good brain
0: tools there Um, hey three brain tools three quick ones as well and we've got three more even better ones coming up after the break All right, and now on to the last section of brain tools. Um, those last three were great. These next three, I'm very excited about some of the brain tools coming up, some some really, some biggies, some biggies. And it's all about the way you, you think about uh, emotions and, and how emotions are triggered, right?
1: Yeah, and how you frame it, which leads to brain tool number four, Sam, which is reappraise the negative event.
0: Oh, all right. We'll, ta- we'll hang on. What are you talking about?
1: Okay, Sam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this up a little bit, right? Um, can you close your eyes for a second, please? <laughs> so <laughs> Sam, I want you to close your eyes. Um, I want you to imagine this scene. You ready? Mm. Okay, I want you to imagine your worst enemy is screaming at you one inch from your face, one inch from your face, yelling all these profanities at you, having a massive, massive go. My question to you is what would you want to do in that moment? Punch him. Yeah, 100%. You do want to punch him. And maybe 16-year-old Sam might have. But hey, let me mm-hmm. change things up a little bit. So, Sam, close your eyes. <laughs> but if I changed this one I said to you, oh, what if I told you that their mother passed away two hours ago? What if I told you that they were going through a tough divorce and they just lost custody of their kids? What would happen then?
0: I would feel very empathetic towards them and I would not want to punch them. I'd, I'd feel bad for them.
1: Correct, and this is the key thing. You can open your eyes now, Sam. Is not the, the event didn't change, but the, the situation is the same, but the story you're telling yourself about that event changed everything and that's a classic case of what reappraisal is it is a reframing an event to consider more information that you might not have actually considered prior through that empathetic hat and i think albert albert ellis sums it up really well he says you don't get frustrated because of events you get frustrated because of your beliefs of the event and i think that's a nice sort of reframe to talk about reappraisal so Sam I know there's a lot lot to this and we will cover this next week as well because I think it's a it's a real big one but I do want to give you just a quick study out of from Oshner of a reappraisal experiment which I thought was absolutely fascinating which is as follows in one of the actual reappraisal experiments participants like yourself are actually shown a photo of people crying outside of church and naturally how does that make people feel Sam
0: Makes people feel sad.
1: Correct. Sad. Not good. And then what they are actually then asked to do is to imagine the scene is a wedding that people are crying tears of joy. And at that moment, at that very, very moment, participants change their appraisal of the event. Their emotional response, therefore, change. And Oshner is capturing that on an fMRI. And he basically says the following. Our emotional responses ultimately flow out of our appraisals of the world. And if we can shift those appraisals, we shift our emotional responses. There you that go. is. That's what I, dropped. I dropped the mic.
0: That, that whew, chills. I have chills. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. I I always think of when it comes to appraisal of uh, the the Stoics, in particular. Oh yeah, the
1: Stoics. The good old Seneca.
0: <laughs> and one of the biggest things was that your you know your perception is reality. It's like how you choose to perceive an event is how you experience it and interpret it. And I think this is a perfect embodiment of that. Yeah,
1: exactly right. And I think like one, one just simple action or thing when something bad happens, whether you get into a, I don't know, a taxi and the cab driver's having a go at you, whatever it might be, just always mutter these words to yourself. They're just having a bad day. They're just having a bad day. You don't know what's going on in their life. And the reason I say that is having presented seminars to kids uh, for five, six years now, and sometimes getting some really negative feedback from the kids. I always say to myself, I don't know what that kid's going through. I have no idea um, what their day's like or what they're going through. I'm not going to project and say that was mean of them because they've got some circumstances going on. So
0: yeah, brain tool number four, reappraise the event. That's that's super powerful and that's a really great frame as well because that's embodying some empathy, which we're going to talk about uh, in two episodes time in emotional management. So stick around for that when that comes up and leans kind of well into uh, brain tool number five, which is one I learned from the amazing Andrea Samity on her podcast, The Neuroscience of Social and Emotional Learning. Go check it out. She's awesome. She has amazing guests. But the one she recommends and something I've abided by for the last couple of years is go on a media diet. And I can't think of a better better time for it. So what this basically is, is making sure you restrict the amount of negative news and information coming into your brain on a daily basis. Because as we talked about before, the negative emotions you feel, the difficult emotions are really in response to stimuli and events that happen in your environment. And if you're watching negative news every single day, if you're watching the TV and you know people are dying and the world is collapsing, well, then you're feeding that information into your brain, which is activating the threat signal, which is teaching you to experience whatever negative emotions co- accompany that news. So this negative media triggers the negativity bias in your brain and it can make you feel more stressed. And over time, it can also teach you to look out for more negative information because if you're feeding your brain threat, 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 danger, danger, danger every single day, then your brain can't help but look for that information's information subconsciously going forward. So your RIS will look for it, your RAS. Absolutely. And
1: you're basically training your amygdala to notice all the bad stuff, aren't you, right? 100%, 100%. If 100% information you consume is negative, then clearly it's going to think that, wow, I'm in a very, very threatening environment. I need to be on high alert. Cortisol, the whole shebang that we spoke about yes. makes so much sense
0: all those negative emotions and there's that part of your brain which is responsible for diverting attention called the reticulator ac- reticular activating system surrounds your hypothalamus that plays a massive role in this thing called confirmation bias and we're going to talk Ooh. about biases in another episode but it essentially says that once you have something in your brain once you have this filter your brain filters out through your attention lens everything to look for this thing so you- you start having this negativity filter. That's what your brain's going to look for subconsciously and you'll start to see it. The action item here is to just reduce the amount of negative news you consume a day. Like reduce it down to 10 to 15 minutes of news a day and choose some sources that you know present good information. I'll give you a personal example. I basically only use Reddit and other forums to subsource news articles and validate their veracity within the comments from the people who comment on them. So brain tool number five, go on a media diet. The news will make you feel negative if you consume too much for like the junk food it can often be. It's
1: a really, really good analogy. I really like that. It's the, it's basically improving your sense-making as well, right? Which is like, you know, 100%. if you're constantly getting uh, information from sales sources that are not 100% legit and you're just looking at the headline, of course, it's going to have that emotional stimuli because you always got to remember, understand what other people's incentives are. And the media's incentive mm. in most cases is to get you to read something. So in every way they can, this is cynical, cynical me coming out, but it's
0: uh, it's true. It's true. I mean, they deal—they deal in buying and selling attention, namely yours and ours, and the commodity and the currency for that is often right our we just
1: take the Economics and finance class.
0: <laughs> I mean, are we not? That's, it's, <laughs> but it's—it's it's really about taking leave from the media diet and taking leave from some of that negative emotion-providing stimulus.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that's the the last one that I'm, I've got here, which is brain tool number six, which is for those that are obviously working lots, et cetera, um, pencil your leave in advance. Um, the reason I, I put this out there is this is much more of a preventative mechanism. But I, I a mentor once told me, you don't realize, you don't know you need leave until you actually take it. Um, and once you take it, uh, you realize, wow, I was tired. And for me personally, I think I was very, very close to burnout recently, if I'm being really honest. I think I had to take leave hadn't taken a day of leave for about eight months really intense going on obviously with COVID and and pushing for opportunity which is great but i was lacking sleep um lack of leisure time lack of social connection i wasn't 100 present um, a lot of the time and to be honest with you i just said i came back from a two days of leave a staycation which i knew was coming up um and now having doing this podcast right now i feel re-energized i didn't realize how Mm. tired i was i slept so much better but i was obviously off um, the media as well. I didn't look at anything, no emails, nothing. So the the reason I bring this up is just to say, take a break and give yourself the space to refocus. Book your leave eight to 10 weeks in advance, even if you don't think you need it, have something to look forward to because in reality, it is going to be massive, massive, massive gains for your well being and your ability to regulate your own emotions
0: it's like replenishing this this well of burnt out emotional regulation capacity that drains over time when we we overwork ourselves. Man, that is such a good one. And the reason I think it's such a good one right now is because with lots of people locked down and, and working from home or even restricted, people aren't taking leave.
1: This is 100% true. The number of people, I have to have a conversation with my team about this, I don't want to take leave right now because I can't travel. That's, yeah. the, that's the number one thing. And without realising you need
0: to take your leave, you need to take your leave to take a yeah. break. That's it's so, so true. Wow. Powerful. Good way to end it. Should we, uh, should we wrap them back up?
1: I, I, reckon, I reckon we should should uh, wrap them up. Brain tool number one for me, distract yourself to create a pause. Actually trying to make sure that you don't give in to the primal reaction, creating that pause so you can do something a little bit more productive gives you that space to make a better decision. Yours, my man.
0: I love love that. Brain tool number two was don't vent, refocus. Just like getting that distraction and taking that pause, the next step is to avoid ruminating on that negative emotion by venting about it and instead finding some other place for your attention, something that will distract you, which leads into brain tool number three. What's a great distraction and what's a great way to pull yourself out of experiencing the negative emotion? Well, remember the good times because it's been proven to counteract acute stress in the moment.
1: Brain tool number four, reappraise the event. Always be mindful that you can't control the event themselves, but you can definitely control your perception and your interpretation of that event. Always ask yourself, they just had a bad day or did they have a bad day to actually put on your empathy hat because what empathy is or what compassion is, is empathy in
0: motion. Oh, that's a great quote. It leads really well into uh, a whole podcast on empathy and emotional intelligence, which is the amazing neuroscience of social and emotional learning with Andrea Samini. I'm going to link that in the comments. But brain tool number five, which I learned from her podcast was bypass negative emotion, uh, negative media to bypass negative emotion. Put yourself on a media diet, restrict the amount of negative inputs going in to reduce the amount of negative inputs coming out of that brain of yours. And it leads really well into making sure you look after yourself.
1: Makes sense. Brains tool number six, pencil your leave in advance. If you have 30 something plus days of leave like I do, pencil your leave in, in advance, have something to look forward to because you need a break. Even if you don't think you do, you won't regret it.
0: In fact, you probably need it more when you don't think you do. And there's a lot of research around sleep deprivation and cortisol and stress. Go check out our first podcast. We talk a little bit about how people who are sleep deprived think they're fine when in reality they're performing like a drunk person.
1: <laughs> Not good. Not good.
0: <laughs> Not good at all. 80-20 for this week. What do you got?
1: Got a quote. Unattributed. Don't know who it's by. It's probably by somebody, but it says the following. <laughs> the quote is as follows. I'm sorry. We've gone downhill here. The quote is, Practice the pause. When in doubt, pause. When angry, pause. When tired, pause. When stressed, pause. Pause. Pause, 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 pause. The whole idea here, the pause creates a space. So you don't react how you would normally do based on all your
0: habits. That's great. I love that so much. Mine is control your perception to manage your negative emotions, and that includes your attention and any resources you're putting your brain towards. Perception is everything. It's Absolutely. Everything.
1: Perception is reality, to quote, quote Samuel plus the it's Stoics.
0: Reality. Yeah, um, I have 100% bastardized that quote. Uh, <laughs> do not attribute it to Seneca. I, I'm not not quite sure what it looks like in his works, but we're just going to go with it and, you know, so we put it together. Um, Absolutely. That's, well,
1: like, that's it we're done
0: episode 12 in the bank what episode 12 in the bank as always thank you so much uh for listening next week's episode is going to be on emotional regulation and the f- the following will be on emotional management and then we're going to have a special guest coming in to talk to us uh about emotions and <laughs> brain and neuroscience which kieran's very excited for I'm so excited. So we'll be announcing that soon uh would remind you to go check out our newsletter if you want more exclusive content. And if you want to be reminded when we do put out stuff and the way to do that is to go to braintools.substack.com and I'll drop that link into the podcast show notes, but that's about it for now. Oh, also go follow us on uh, Instagram. If that's more of your flavor, brain tools. And uh, share this round. We've had quite a few people been sharing screenshots when they're listening to the Brain Tools podcast at the end, sharing on their Instagram stories. We always love that. It's amazing when you help us uh, reach more people and help more people too. That's that's it for me. I think I've talked enough for a whole day. That's it for
1: me. We've talked enough. We're, let's let's sign off. Thanks so much.
0: so off. Thanks so much. See you next week. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Brain Tools. We've got three quick things to hit you with before you go. One, if you want to hear other Brain Tools, you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms.
1: Number two, if you like this episode, then give us a review on iTunes or Spotify only if it's above four
0: stars. And number three, you can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode plus a ton of other resources. Best of all, it is completely free.
1: Cannot wait to see you next episode. And until then, bye for now.
0: See you next episode.